0: Good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. This is BRN Sunday for Sunday, February 18th, 2024. We have another great show for you this week. Kevin Walsh of the Groom Law Group and one half of the famed Legal Eagles will be here to break down what's happening on Capitol Hill. And then in segment two, Oliver Renick of the Schwab Network will help make sense of economic and market data. So sit back, relax, enjoy this episode of BRN Sunday. We're going to kick off the week with a look at what's happening on Capitol Hill, and it was a busy week. We're going to get into it in just a second. Joining me on the line, he's one half of the famed Legal Eagles. Kevin Walsh is a principal with Groom Law Group, and that is an employee benefits law firm based in Washington D.C. Coincidentally, Kevin, always great to talk to you. Thanks so
1: much for joining us on the program this morning. Yeah, Jeff, thanks for having me on. You know, it's uh, President's Day weekend, and you know we've got one eagle on here, and we've got one other eagle in an undisclosed location. So. You know, we hope everybody is enjoying President's Day weekend. And I know I'm hoping that spring is around the corner because it it's been a little bit grayer and the days have been a little shorter than I like. So, you know, I'm looking forward to the spring. Yeah. When do the cherry blossoms bloom typically, Kevin?
0: Well, that's that's,
1: I mean, we could do a whole segment on that, but it it varies from year (laughs) to year. It depends on kind of how warm the spring is. Uh, We're supposed to get some snow basically this weekend. Uh, So usually it's the middle of March to the middle of April is the window when they bloom. But there's usually peak bloom for four or five days during that stretch. But uh, Capital Weather Gang, the Washington Post weather crew, uh, they tend to put out an update, you know, three or four weeks out where they start making predictions and they narrow it in. But we're yeah. not yet at Cherry Blossom time yet. Right it now is, we're at Crocus time.
0: Crocus, yeah. Crocus is my, – my dad would be very pleased. He loves to. My father, Phil Snyder, still working in employee benefits uh, – consultant in the non-qual space he uh he loves the plant loves his cherry blossoms all right kevin let's talk about the developments this week big hearing uh we talked with you and david about the fiduciary rule there was another hearing on thursday what and and you were there so you were front and
1: center you were probably on c-span right is that what where you were i i think i might have been on c-span a little bit now i wasn't talking at it i was trying to look dignified as a you know a a, a a member of the public who was watching it because my my colleague, Tom Roberts, uh, he was testifying. And, you know, uh, when you've got a, a colleague testifying, you get a good front row seat, which unfortunately for me meant that I was getting a lot of texts that I should put my phone away. Now, why someone would text someone to put their phone away is is another question, um, but it is what it is. <laughs> but, you know, diving right in at this point, on February 15th, the Subcommittee on Health, Employment, Labor and Pensions uh, in the House of Representatives had a a hearing, Protecting American Savers and Retirees from DOL's Regulatory Overreach. So I think the title of the hearing suggests what the, uh, uh, you know, Chairman Good, a Republican from Virginia, uh, thinks about the rule. You know, it says regulatory overreach right in the title. Um, The witnesses were the Iowa Insurance Commissioner, uh, Tom Roberts, a principal at Groom Law Group, uh, Jason Berkowitz, who is, you know, the Chief Legal and Regulatory Affairs Officer over at the Insured Retirement Institute and uh, Joseph Pfeiffer, who's the president of the Public Investors Advocate Bar Association. Um, and, you know, essentially, um, Commissioner Ahman, uh Tom Roberts, and Jason Berkowitz pretty much uniformly explained that the rule is overly broad, uh, it's going to be burdensome, and that it's going to lead to less investor choice and less investor access to um you know, retirement plan products and services or IRA products and services. You know, um, Joseph Pfeiffer, uh, he, on the other hand, was pointing out that, you know, there may be areas where the SEC rules and the insurance rules differ and that, you know, DOL getting involved in regulating both security distribution and annuity distribution could lead to a uniform set of rules. Um, he also pointed out, you know, he's a, as a, as a, you know, plaintiff side lawyer, you um, he was able to identify, you know, a number of sympathetic cases where individuals were ripped off uh, over the past, you know, 10, 15 years hmm. by unscrupulous representatives, um, financial services representatives. I was so, going to say you 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 caught yourself there, but you, you anyway we can go into different. Well, direction. I don't want to say unscrupulous representatives when I'm yeah. talking about a House hearing, that's right? So a, that's what I'm saying. That's you, not going to be
0: a good look. We know that they're all above board.
1: Go ahead. Kevin. Yeah,
0: I'm sorry to interrupt um, you.
1: And you know, based on the discussion, you know, I, I think there was pushback by Republicans and by, you know, the three witnesses, um, essentially saying that you know, bad actors are bad actors, and rules today already prohibit bad actors. Um, and you know, the the other side, which was saying that you know, a uniform DOL fiduciary rule um, could provide additional protection. Now, when we look at what the committee members were saying, because at bottom. You know, this is a hearing on a Labor Department proposal. DOL is likely to finalize the proposal. Um, Congress involvement really is relevant in two ways. One is if they, you know, enact legislation that tells Cong- that tells DOL not to spend any more money on enacting the rule, or two, if they repeal the reg uh, after the fact. So it becomes important to look at what the members themselves are saying. Um, Republican members were saying generally that, you know, this rule is a mistake. It's going to lead to lack of investor access. Um, Rep. Allen from Georgia said he intends to introduce a Congressional Review Act resolution to disapprove of the rule as soon as it's finalized. So, you know, it signals that Republicans are going to push back. Now, you know, having Republicans uh, and 35 cents will get you a phone call at the moment because you've got, you know, a Democrat in the White House and a Democrat-controlled Senate. So, more important than Republicans are saying is what are, what are Democrats saying? Um, and here, you know, Democrats seem to be uniformly saying that more needs to be done to protect investors from conflicted advice. Um, however, there were some comments that, you know, the proposal may be broader than intended and that they're hoping that DOL refines it. Now, one thing to see here is that, you know, when a similar proposal was issued eight years ago, 96 House Democrats, 96 representatives signed a letter uh, pushing back. Um, At the moment, it looks like Democrats are largely, um, you know, closing ranks to a degree and saying, you know, while we like to see the rule changed, we're not opposition to the rule. So, you know, that signals that, you know, at the moment, uh, there may not be a congressional path to, you know, slowing or delaying the rule if it is burdensome the way that the Republicans were saying. Um, now there's a long way to go. This at bottom, you know, this relates to a proposal that was issued in November, uh, largely redefining who's a fiduciary in the IRA space. Um, we're going to have to see if the labor department finalizes it. Everything that we've seen and heard suggests that they're working to finalize it later this spring or this summer. So we would expect that there will be additional, um, hearings on the Hill, there'll be, you know, additional statements by DOL officials. And that, you know, to some extent, uh, this is the warm-up for some likely litigation that's going to come after rules promulgated. But, you know, this is an important debate. And, you know, it's important that, uh, you know, everyday retirement savers are protected. But it's also important to balance kind of the, the compliance burden of those protections against the additional cost of compliance and the loss of access that some of those rules can create. And, you know, here, The Labor Department's trying to finally balance that, Um, and they're trying to finally balance it in light of a changing landscape where the SEC did Reg BI a few years ago, Mm -hmm. and the NAIC just is in the process of, you know, 42 states have adopted new rules for duty distribution. And uh, Insurance Commissioner Amon suggested yesterday that he thinks, you know, we could be at 49 or 50 by the end of the year. Um, So DOL is really... You know they're evaluating and looking to act on a landscape that's that's rapidly changing, kind of regardless of what the does. Well,
0: um, you know, as you were talking, Kevin, I you know just thinking about uh, what's coming. You know, we're here we are in almost March. Uh, Congress, I think, goes on a, uh, a summer break, right? Um, they go on break. So I'm just trying to think about the timeline, and then after Labor Day, boom, it's election time. And by the way, the republic. You mentioned the Republicans; they lost a seat this week with, uh, I think, Tom Swazi picking up the Santos seat, right? So the uh, uh, ousted uh, Representative Santos. So that's another, uh, I guess, member in the in the uh, Democrat House uh, fold. Um, so, so I mean, is it anticipated that this rule gets finalized before, I guess, the Labor Day run t- towards the election?
1: So I, I would expect it'll be finalized, you know, early summer, mid-summer, you know, before an August recess. Um, now, you know, Congress doesn't have to do anything for a rule to be finalized. Essentially, the big things are, does Congress do anything in a spending bill that says don't do it? Yep. Or does Congress do anything after the fact saying, you know, get this out of the Federal Register? Um, you know, but the important deadlines for that, you know, I, I you hinted at schedules here. I don't want to get too in the weeds here. Um But we are uh, rapidly coming up on another uh, government funding shutdown date. Um, Early March, the government runs out of funding again. And what that ultimately means is that if there's going to be a bill that's going to tell Congress, you know, slow down, um, that tells, not Congress to slow down, but that tells DOL to slow down or stop, um, you know, we could see... A lot of that get you know spun up between here and March first or March eighth eighth because you know there's two funding bills that need to be passed on those days to avoid uh, partial shutdowns. Wow, so there's there's a lot going on obviously in the Congress
0: and and beyond this. I know they're ta- we're not going to talk about this week, but tackling Social Security, there's been proposals there. You and David cover the uh, what I would call a coverage bill uh f- a federal coverage bill uh, we talked about it last week with the iras and and whatnot so there's a lot going on outside of retirement still i think it's a healthy conversation it's one that our audience and and just consumers should be aware of not just industry vets like you and myself but but you know in the ecosystem people outside kevin we're going to leave it there really appreciate you uh popping by enjoy your extra day in, in the weekend and um, get some rest And we'll talk to you and david again next week
1: Thanks for having us on, Jeff. And uh, thank you, listeners.
0: Bye, Kevin. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the broadcast retirement network. Welcome back. Now it's time to break down markets in the economy. Joining us on the line, he's the lead anchor for the Schwab Network, Oliver Rennick. OJ Art, great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Thank you, sir, and likewise. Uh, Pleasure is all ours. All right, Oliver. Um, I want to start off with your perspective. This was an up and down roller coaster week. I talked about it yesterday with Jane King on the uh, the weekly show. I felt like Disney World, Space Mountain. Your your thoughts on the on the on the uh, roller coaster ride?
2: Yeah, it was uh, definitely <laughs> some ups and some downs, but the market is persistent in its rally, and ultimately we bought dips. Uh, The biggest dip of the week was on Tuesday after consumer inflation came in hotter than expected, fairly significantly hotter than expected. And we had a very steep decline in small cap stocks, the Russell 2000, and a shallower but broad decline across basically the rest of the market. So there's a few important observations from this. One is that the bond market has not really been a threat to the big index equity investors, people who just buy the S and P 500 or buy the NASDAQ Bond market has not been a problem for that group of companies because they have been so driven by earnings recovery. And in particular, the AI revolution that's happening. So, bond market has not been a problem for generally stocks as a whole. However, bond market has been a problem for small cap companies in the Russell 2000, which has been still in a bear market off its high a couple of years ago, while the rest of the market makes highs. So SP and p have like been at records, even as yields in the bond market were creeping higher in the last three months. But in the small caps, there's a little bit more sensitivity. And that makes sense because they've got a lot more debt. They don't have as much profit. There is like a thirty percent zombie company rate in the Russell two thousand. So it makes sense when inflation comes in hot, treasury yields spike, that the small caps are gonna get hit. Here's the amazing thing, is that in the two days after, they rallied right back. And this is the group that really nobody's wanted to really touch. Um the small caps have rallied over the last five months, but Not nearly as much as the other stocks relative to their uh, past performance, because the Russell's been stuck. It has been the dog. It's been the laggard. It's been the loser, basically. So to see the way investors piled into those small caps in the two days after a 4% decline, making up all the losses by Friday morning, was one of the most powerful embraces of risk. Appetite and sort of expressions of bullishness we have seen really since uh, the market really turned around last November. So that was kind of the big story of the week. And the idea is uh, investors are just looking for dips to buy. There is all animal spirits that are basically in the market right now. We see this in exponential moves in AI stocks. We see this in the – fast snapback of the small caps. We see it in the price of Bitcoin getting above fifty thousand. The higher risk, lower quality assets have been getting a lot of attention the last couple of weeks. And that might tell us that we're kind of in the maybe the later stages of this rally, but it's really hard to know when this type of animal spirit would break if um you know the market's waiting on some big shift in tone from the Fed. The underpinning confidence is still stemming from the AI stuff, but also this notion that the Fed's going to cut. It's just a matter of time. Now, we should be questioning that assumption after this week's inflation, but that does seem to be still one of the areas investors are very confident in. That Okay, if the Fed doesn't cut in March, well, then they'll do
0: it in May. If they don't do it in May, well, then they'll do it in June. Um, And so that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, it puts a lot of pressure on the – I found the Fed. It puts a lot of pressure to act um, if if what you're saying is 100% accurate. Oliver, and and I want to get your comment on that, but also does this feel – when you started describing animal spirits and, and the risk on, like what you were just describing, I immediately shot back to 1999, 1998, 2000. The tech bubble. Do you remember that time? You're a little bit younger than I am. You, were, you <laughs> sure. remember that, right? Well, and and the good. The good thing is we have charts, so even if you weren't there, I wasn't in the 70s, but I can tell you what happened to the market in the 70s. I know. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not diminishing. I just. I'm saying you. You know, just you know, I, when you're describing that, the, the terms that you're using and the risk on, it seems eer, eerily familiar to me. Oh, yeah. uh, from that era.
2: Well, we definitely had uh, a
0: few folks this week
2: kind of comparing it to that time. But here's the thing. COVID was worse than dot-com by many measures. Um, you know, There's a lot of different ways you can measure valuations, and about 10 out of 12 valuation metrics during COVID actually surpassed dot-com. That's how insane the COVID mania was. So uh, it's not like that, uh, to answer your question. Valuations are not where they were in COVID. They're not where they were in dot-com, but they have – moved higher quickly and there are pockets of extreme euphoric froth like we have never seen before it's just it's more concentrated in covid and dot com everything was going exponential or vertical at least what's happening right now is that uh, or the reverse route things are going exponential parabolic today there are a few companies literally going vertical the concentration Accumulation within the stock market is unparalleled. So to kind of go back historically again, uh, the nifty-fifty uh, back in the 70s where you had these kind of blue-chip staple stocks that accumulated a big portion of the market. They actually, those top 10, top 20 stocks then were a, a very big portion of the market, but their share was actually decreasing over time because more companies were going public. Today what's happening is market cap is being skewed towards a few companies and concentrated at a very fast rate like never seen before. The market is basically just piling market cap into the core of the AI driven trade. So that's why the broad market valuations are still below COVID and dot com because it's not as widespread. But in the places where it's happening, The size of the degree of market cap that's moving upwards is astonishing. Um, And it means that there is extreme stock-specific risk like this market has never seen before. If NVIDIA falls, the market is toast, basically. And that's not an exaggeration. A lot of people say, oh, concentration's fine. Sure, maybe it is. A lot of these companies are very diversified. But the accumulation of market cap and concentration in the last six months is unprecedented, and by that I mean the degree and the speed to which it has concentrated, if that makes sense. So the last six months basically is, is really hinging on a handful of companies, more
0: so than it ever has before. Yeah, that has me (laughs) personally has me. I don't like to have my eggs in one basket, so to speak, uh, or multiple, even seven baskets. Uh, Let's talk about the risks for a couple of minutes, and then we can let you go and do what you got to do. The risks, as I see them, uh, and I want to get you to fill in the blanks here because I'm going to miss some, is the Fed doesn't cut rates as expected. That's a risk. Um, There's a risk of – economic uh a war uh expanded war either in ukraine and russia or in the middle east that could have even more of an impact on supply gasoline prices uh do all the things that it does when those things are not eagerly or easily available it drives up prices where we're we're... probably on the lowest of my list right now okay Um, tell tell, just round out the rest of the list because you're doing this more than i am so give us give us your list of risks
2: yeah, no, um, it's a good question. Number one is uh, the concentration in Nvidia, basically. Uh, if Nvidia doesn't go perfectly next week, then you will see the entire AI trade unwind, and it will be brutal. So that's number one is that concentration around uh, a particular couple of companies. Number two then is uh, yeah, is, is the Fed pricing uh, where the market is still really, really uh, insistent and confident that the Fed is going to be doing not just one or two cuts, but multiple cuts, and that once they start, they're going to keep going. The risk basically right now for the Fed is not that, oh, they might start in May, they might start in June. The risk now is turning to the, what if they don't start? What if the disinflation that we've experienced is entirely from the supply chain normalizing and the economy is strong enough to keep inflation at 3% on its own? That's risk number two. Uh, Risk number three is um just the consumer basically running out of gas any various kind of cyclical economic risks there aren't a lot of very obvious ones other than commercial real estate um but that's kind of a it's kind of an isolated threat to some extent but it, it could develop into something and then fourth is where i put geopolitics one is because like it just there's always a bad things happening around the world it seems like you know, there's a lot of them happening at any given moment, but you know, it's, um, it hasn't really shown up in the market in any way, so it's hard to give it a lot of uh, credibility as a threat. I mean, for example, since Palestine and uh, uh, Israel started warring, crude oil prices are actually down, so it just hasn't really proven to be a threat to the market, not that it's not disturbing. but
0: Yeah, I mean it seems to be managed uh, at least for now, and, and I guess we'll just have to see. That The beauty is we can – you and I and others can prognosticate, but the reality is – we're going to find out in the coming weeks and months what is actually going to happen, and that's what makes these conversations so much fun and insightful. Oliver Renick, always great to talk to you. Expert analysis. You can certainly Thanks, catch man. him on the Schwab Network every day. He is on there Monday through Friday, and there's a lot of repeats there too of him as well on the weekends. You can't miss him. Have a good one, Oliver. Have a great weekend. <laughs> Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Thanks, Jeff. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Sunday. Have a topic of interest? many you think we should talk to? Drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives? Check out our latest content? Well, then visit our website. Well, we're not back again tomorrow. It's President's Day in honor of some of our greatest presidents. But BRN AM will be back on Tuesday. So until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe. Keep on saving. And don't forget, roll with those changes.